0: the nail in the coffin welcome to the nail in the coffin i'm tom he's travis it is tuesday night trav what's up buddy
1: not a lot man how are you doing you know you've had a hectic couple of days haven't you
0: it's it's been rough i'm not gonna lie we had a nice little uh father's day cookout going on over at the in-laws on sunday and as we were kind of winding it down uh, my daughter cassidy was playing with her cousins and uh and she somehow wandered off into another room and uh took a little bit of a tumble and uh, a trip to hillcrest and a trip to cleveland clinic uh, later we uh we have a nice uh, cast on the elbow now a uh, uh, broken bone and uh, she's going to be on the mend so uh the T-ball season has come to a close for her after uh I think uh, four or five games this year so She's on the
1: she's on the DL. She has
0: moved, been moved to the uh, the 60 day DL. Yeah, it's, yeah well. it's it's rough but First uh, broken
1: bone, not a big deal. She'll be no, all right.
0: No. It's uh, it's not fun but she's a trooper. She's hanging in there so there uh, we're we're getting by but nice. uh Anyway, we got uh, got a lot happening in uh, the National Basketball Association. Um, you know, even though the season just wrapped up, uh, th- there is no off season in the NBA, as, as we know, uh, NBA draft going to be going down on Thursday night. The Cavs figure to be prominently involved with the fifth and twenty sixth picks and uh, a whole lot of teams around them looking to move up or down. So to get us ready, we are joined tonight by Evan Damarell, who covers the Cavs as a contributor for both Forbes and Fear the Sword. Evan, welcome. How are you?
2: I'm good. Thanks for having me. All
0: right. So we're going to get into the Cavs and uh, the draft and just everything else that's going on. But I have to back up quickly and and start with this. The, The NBA Finals, let's just put a bow on it. You know, we've seen... Uh, all sorts of series over the years get um, uh, decided by uh, an injury or two here or there, but I can never remember a series having the long-term impact and ramifications uh, that we are going to pretty much, uh, you know, that, that we can expect now uh, coming out of that final series between the Warriors and, and the Raptors, what with uh, Kevin Durant going down uh, with the Achilles and then Clay Thompson tearing his ACL, just a, a crazy way to end one season. And, and really, it seems like that's going to end up having a trickle down effect for, for years.
2: Yeah, no, it really does. It's um, It's surreal to see that a dynasty goes down the way it did in Golden State, especially in such dramatic fashion. But um, I think the Kevin Durant injury was a linchpin for a lot of teams to say, like, okay, well, maybe we have a fighting chance. But then Clay Thompson going down on top of that and possibly even being out for maybe the majority of the season really gives a lot of teams in the Western Conference a chance. And I feel like it's really anybody's game next year, league wide.
0: Yeah, especially when you start looking at, you know, KD. I mean, he was uh, a lot of smoke blowing in the direction of him heading to New York to join the Knicks, and, you know, for a long time, we heard some rumors about him and Kyrie possibly joining up there, and now it seems more like Kyrie's going uh, to Brooklyn instead, and and it just, you know, th- this is going to end up impacting a lot of different teams because, you know, as you're saying, Durant being the linchpin, I mean, if he ends up doing something different now, or teams are kind of approaching him differently, you know, kind of unsure of what you know, the the timeline's gonna be with him and, and everything else going forward. I mean this could really change a lot of different teams' plans, I would think, and eventually possibly even the camps too.
2: Yeah, I would agree for sure. I mean, you can it's Durant's situation's interesting. Um, I could see a few teams, especially both New York team um Brooklyn, I think it's a shoo-in at this point that they're gonna sign Kyrie in free agency. And even the Knicks, um, they could take the chances offer Kevin Durant a max contract and eat the next year if he wants to sit out and then they still have a, both relatively young casts and that can definitely cause a power shift in the East and at the same time especially with the Knicks um, it makes things interesting in the draft because if Kevin Durant still tells them, like hey I'm interested in coming that definitely helps the Cavs out as well because it can cause a lot of jockeying around between three through five because I, I think New Orleans and Memphis definitely are moving at this point but it's Definitely. The next few days, which is hard to believe because free agency still won't start for a few days after that, is going to definitely set the tone for how the rest of the summer will. All
0: right. Yeah. And the other thing I was going to say, just to kind of put a wrap on the finals, you know, we barely even had time to get used to the idea of the NBA champion Toronto Raptors. That just sounds so bizarre to me even now. Um, before the news broke over the weekend that the Lakers are going to be acquiring Anthony Davis from the Pelicans. And, you know, one of the assets uh, New Orleans is going to be getting in return is that number four pick in Thursday night's draft. Uh, that's one spot ahead of where the Cavs as of now are going to be drafting. Um, let, let's kind of transition from that into uh, the Cavs and the draft and where they're at at, uh, at number five. How, how do you think uh, that trade and the Pelicans now having one and four is uh going to affect what the Cavs want to
2: do? Well, it's it's tough because before Anthony Davis' trade went down, I felt fairly confident about the Cavs' chances in the draft because I don't put a lot of faith in Rob Kalinka and the Lakers organization. Um, but I can imagine why I've you dated. feel that way. <laughs> I mean, if you just go through my Twitter timeline, you can definitely see um, I'm a big, big supporter of Rob and the, what he's doing over there in <laughs> Los Angeles. But um, now, now that an actually competent front office is sitting in front of Cleveland, um, there's definitely reason to be worried. But I, from what I've gathered and what I've read and what I've heard, New Orleans is hell-bent and determined to try and move the fourth pick to try and get an all-star caliber player. I heard the biggest name so far is Bradley Beal is who they're targeting with it. Hmm. Do I see that happening? Maybe. Maybe if wa- I mean, Washington isn't a well-run organization, so... I can see something crazy happening. But at the same time, I think the only thing is now that David Griffin and the Pelicans can take the best player available and the best player available at four would probably be Texas X-Jarrett Culver, who um, a lot of people on Cavs Twitter and just amongst a lot of Cavs writers believe is the best option at five for Cleveland. And it feels like you're kind of settling a little bit when you start to look at who's available after that.
1: How big is the gap, really? Because I've seen, I don't know. People tend to get just over dramatic in general about, about these things, but sort of a recurring theme that I seem to see seem to see quite a bit is that the gap between four and five is is significant. Um, we can obviously always go back and look at old drafts, right? Where oh, you've got this guy at eleven, and he was a great pick. Whatever. Those I don't really care about that. Um, how mm-hmm. how how big is that gap, really? You think right now?
2: Between 4 and 5. Um, yeah, like How
1: how, how unfortunate I, is the Cavs' actual draft position?
2: Well, I was at the uh, draft lottery party for the Cavs, and you could tell the mood was um, killed, for sure. Because everyone was saying, like, oh, we're going to get Zion, we're going to get Barrett, we're going to get... You know, some people were even saying Morant, and I kind of rolled my eyes at that, but... Uh, there there's a general feeling that, like okay there's no way we're not going to get the top three pick and then to fall to five that was definitely a mood killer and then, like i said now that david griffin holds the cards at four it's an even bigger mood killer because what you're looking at there is jared culver is probably one of the safest options in the tier he has a pretty high floor and he has a high ceiling i mean i've written about him before and i've said he reminds me of paul george if everything pans out god willing i mean it's a pretty lofty to get to, but the drop off there is just like the next best player. If you're going out best player available, it's Darius Vanda Darius, and um, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a mystery box. He only played a handful of games for Vanda before he t- went down with a torn meniscus, and uh, he had a private workout with the Cavs a few days ago. Rich Paul flew out. Um, the Kobe Altman, John Beal, and Jeff for a private workout and he killed it and really impressed the front office. And um, the same can be said with the workout he had for the Lakers back when the Lakers still had the fourth pick. And I guess Chicago as well has been impressed. But it's just, it's such a scary territory there with Garland. Because then after that, you're looking at. Cameron Reddish who has red flags and then you have DeAndre Hunter who's similar to Jarrett Culver in that sense but it's not the sexiest pick and it doesn't have as much upside and when you go through a year where you go 1963 and you take a bunch of lumps to walk away with a player who doesn't have a lot of upside and is more of um, a 5 is definitely a bit deflating.
0: Kim Reddish you mentioned him I just feel like Everything that we've come to see from the Cavs in the last year or so as they've started their rebuild has been around the ideas of work ethic and culture and player development. And I'm not saying that he can't become a great player, but just seems like they're all in on high motor guys. And that's like the biggest knock on him just everything that you hear about him in terms of potential red flags just seems like it 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 especially goes against everything that the Cavs are trying to you know instill in in their organization and base this rebuild on and when i hear the rumors that like the Cavs were interested in him for a while i think i saw maybe it was joe varden or somebody else that kind of did a deep dive on that it just Really didn't feel like it added up to me at all, and I just wondered if that was more smokescreen or um, or something else.
2: I think it's a it's a lot of things. I don't know if smokescreen's really the. F- I don't know if there's really a smokescreen with Cam Reddish. Maybe Cam Reddish himself is a smokescreen <laughs> because, um, like you said, um, he's he doesn't have a high motor. There's a lot of questions if he actually loves the game of basketball, which is concerning. He can tell people he loves it, but. There's been plenty of players to say I love the game. I mean, I'm sure Anthony Bennett's told plenty of people he plenty plenty of people he loves the game of basketball, but I'm sure he also loves an all you can eat buffet. Ooh, and whoa. um and um Are we really still taking
1: it, Anthony Bennett shots? I mean I I'm not saying you're uh, wrong, but, I'm not disagreeing with you, <laughs> but you really gotta open that wound back up.
2: Uh eh, well, I was definitely stunned that year. Um there's plenty I could talk about, a bit of, but let's focus on Reddish for now. Um, there's a lot of concern that comes with him, and it's just the fact that people like to highlight that, oh, maybe it's because he shared the floor with R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson, which, granted, that's there's only so much basketball to go around, especially in an offense like Coach K's. But then when Zion went down, R.J. flourished, but Reddish got worse, which is definitely concerning. And then... um. He was relegated to a six-man role in the NCAA tournament, so I guess it wouldn't be beyond the Cavs to draft a six-man <laughs> with a top-five pick. But um, so history like history repeating itself with Deion Waiters. But um, it's just it's definitely concerning because you can see the upside there. Like he has the measurements of a prototypical wing. He does show defensive upside, but the lack of motor and this the really bad shooting numbers and the fact that he's so comfortable. With jacking up three-pointers so much are a lot of concerns and it probably hurt his draft stock and if i mean if the Cavs want him and let's just say reddish is their guy i would be more comfortable with them let's say trading down maybe to, to eight with atlanta because i think that's ideally the most realistic spot where you can start targeting someone like cam reddish but i think five that'd be out of the question to target someone to someone like him at that spot
0: seen a lot of rumors about the Cavs entertaining the possibility of trading down and maybe stockpiling some extra picks. Um, do you expect that to happen, or do you think we're actually going to see them take somebody and, and keep them at five?
2: It's going to be interesting for sure. Um, the Knicks saying today that they're trying to get a last-minute workout in with Darius Garland um, maybe raise an eyebrow for a second because I'm thinking – Okay, well, maybe David Griffin gets a trade talk in with um, Atlanta for four because Atlanta's trying really hard to move up into the top five. Um, I think because everyone keeps everyone and their cousins keep saying Cleveland's an obvious trade target for them, but apparently they offered eight and ten to New York for the third pick, and New York said no thanks, and then. New Orleans then turned around and said they'd be interested in that offer as well. And from what I've gathered, Atlanta's guy is Jared Culver. So if they took Culver at five, that means Barrett falls to the Cavs at five. And I think Cleveland just sits there and they take their guy because they're enamored with R.J. Barrett. And that's probably the number one player on their board, obviously, besides Zion. But he's unobtainable, unobtainable at this point. But um, let's just say it's Darius Garland at that spot. Or let's just say maybe Jared Culver's still available and the Cavs aren't as sold on him as I am. They could definitely start entertaining trade talks. And I think Chicago, Phoenix, Atlanta are all options to trade down with. And I'm okay with picking up extra draft picks. And then you can just flip those assets for even more assets if you want to. Because realistically, you can't add three, four rookies onto your roster because there's just so much playing around.
0: All right, well, while we're talking about assets that could be flipped, will J.R. Smith still be on the Cavs roster when we wake up on Friday morning? Um,
2: I want to say no. I want to say no, but I, the Kobe and the Cavs front office have till June 30th to at 11.59. And maybe a little before that, so it gives the team a little bit of wiggle room to wave him to try and get a deal figured out with JR because that's what July 1st is when his contract becomes fully guaranteed. And the team obviously wants to use that partial guarantee to uh, get get some type of asset. But I think a realistic target for them still, and it's been entertained for a while, and apparently he's interested is trying to flip <clears throat> JR to the Heat for any of their bad contracts. And then considering that... Um, Brooklyn had to give up two first-round picks to get rid of Allen Crabb's bad contract um, to Atlanta in the first place. I think JR will definitely command at least a first-round pick. And I think Woj tonight said on ESPN's draft special that um, Cleveland is under the impression that they can get multiple picks or assets for JR. And just keep wheeling and dealing, man, and eventually you got to get a player that sticks, and eventually you can even go all-in one a situation like this golden state situation. When the time comes, you can cash in and go star hunting and then maybe make a run at a title.
0: Or you could just keep getting cold feet like Danny age. Hey, Uh, Oh, all right. So let's talk about some of these other guys, anybody else that you feel like could be in the mix at five. And if, the Cavs do not stick around at five. If they do shuffle down a few spots, who else should we start paying attention to or try to get excited about?
2: Um, this in the sky, the walk the happiest RJ Barrett. And then after that, Jared Culver, Deandre Hunter, even though I did just talk down on him before, he's not a bad pickup at five. If you held a gun to my head, I'd say, okay, well, that's a good pick. It's disappointing, but it's good um Darius Garland is an option there are I actually wrote a piece for Forbes I f- it came out the other day that um I explored the idea it's it makes sense because it's something the Cavs have explored this season with Colin Sexton and putting a primary ball handle on the floor of them. but um it's definitely a risk um if they trade down uh Cam Reddish is definitely an option I even think Brandon Clark from Gonzaga is a great option especially if they get the 10th pick out of Atlanta and I think if they did trade down with Atlanta, it does give Cleveland a few more options and maybe take a few more of those riskier gambles. So they could go with a Cam Reddish at 8, Brandon Clark at 10. And if they held on to 26 and weren't able to find anything to help move up with JR's contract, they could take on Oregon's Bowl, Bowl as well, who scares me with his foot injury, and he has a lack of a motor too. But he's um he's definitely an interesting player because you can play him on the wing, but he's such a giant him at on defense um he's multifaceted and if you can figure him out if he can figure it out and find a love for the game it's the sky's the limit for him but it the cleveland's in a situation where they can't be too picky when it comes to talent i mean you have colin sexton you have jenny Osbin. kevin loves here for god knows how long his name's gonna pop up in trade rivers even after he retires probably <laughs> and um um just you and larry nance jr as well who um I've spoken to before, who's like kind of comfortable just being the glue guy and the jack-of-all-trades master of done, which is a valuable commodity itself. But you can't be too picky when it comes to talent, and sometimes you have to take those risks. But at the same time, I understand maybe fo- focusing on safe players like Culver, Hunter, Clark. Um, kill Alexander-Walker, actually I forgot to bring him up too. He's another safe option that could be available depending on what Atlanta set, possibly sends Cleveland if they decide to trade down. I always
1: like to hear they can't be too picky when it comes to talent. That's a good position to be in. So it sounds like you're, it sounds like you're saying RJ Barrett is kind of best case scenario.
2: Yeah. How realistic um, is
1: that really though? It's a pretty long shot, right?
2: It's a pretty, pretty long shot. Um, like we talked about earlier that Kevin Durant injury really, um, it changed everything because New York went all in at the trade deadline. They got rid of Christoph Sporzingis and um, cleared all the pretty much cleared their books entirely to go after Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And then when Kevin Durant rushed at his Achilles and Kyrie being the uh, happiest when he's unhappiest and not telling anybody what he really wants to do, um, really changed their plans. So I think if they I think RJ Barrett probably is who they pick. But like I said, the Knicks will always be the Knicks and you can't tell me otherwise. They could get desperate and they could always try and go after someone like Darius Garland because Rich Paul, is um, he's a good agent. He's really good at selling teams on things because uh, about a week, for the longest time, it was um, Darius Garland to the Lakers just because of the LeBron connection. And then for some reason, he fell into the Cavs' lap and then for some reason with the Cleveland showing interest, um, you have Boston showing interest who wants to trade up the four to try and go after him. And then New York brought him is bringing him in for a workout tomorrow. So it could be an, if he wows New York, I wouldn't put it past them and I wouldn't be stunned at all. If New York just picks Darius Garland and then RJ somehow slips to the calves, but that's just kind of like, it's a slim chance, but there's still a chance.
0: Can I just ask how do you feel about Ja Morant? Because it just it feels strange to me. Okay, Zion at number one. I get that. I'm totally on board with that. But it just seems like it's just a done deal that John ja Morant is going second. And RJ's like, not even in the discussion for that. And it's just a foregone conclusion. And the real intrigue in this draft starts at pick number three.
2: Am I missing something here? Um. I can understand where you're coming from because heading into the collegiate season, R.J. Barrett was the presumptive number one, and then Zion Williamson happened, and then everyone thought R.J. was maybe number two. But you have to look at it this way. Memphis is a tough market for them. They have to find something to sell. They got rid of the face of their franchise by trading Marcus salt to Toronto. Um, Mike Conley's more than likely on his way out of town with Utah and Indiana and possibly even Boston being interested in him and they got to find some big name to bring in. And John Morant was bigger names, especially with his triple double during the uh, NCAA tournament. Um, he'll definitely put butts in the seats and he is an exciting player to watch. I'm just not as high on him as I am other players in this draft, RJ Barrett, especially. Um, but I think he'll have a good career in Memphis. It just, he will be two years behind everybody else just because I don't wanna say playing in a smaller conference is a huge knock on him because Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum came from smaller schools and look at that now. But it's just it's gonna be a steep learning curve for him to go from Murray State to or to NBA basketball opening night. So it's mostly it's a multifaceted thing. Like he's gonna put butts in the seats for Memphis and he'll grow alongside Jaron Jackson Jr. and I think they'll be doing things the right way.
0: All right. All right. Well, the Cavs also have pick number 26 in the first round. Uh, it feels like every story I read, well, nobody has a definitive idea on how it's going to shake out. The consensus I feel like I'm reading is that there's no way they're actually going to end up picking at 26. They're going to do something else with that pick. Mm-hmm. Do you do you agree with that or in if they are going to maybe move out of that position, what is it to do? Is it to try to package that with something else and move up or trade out of it and try to stockpile some future assets. What's, what's the idea here?
2: I mean, 26, it's, it's weird because this draft class is pretty weak. Um, 26 obviously is an ideal spot. You're not going to get a franchise player, but like I talked about before, they can't be too, too picky, but There's going to be plenty of teams that are going to be looking to move out of their mid-to-late lottery spot. Um, Miami, Charlotte, Detroit. They all have some pretty bad, icky contracts on their books, and Cleveland is definitely a buyer. Um, Not a lot of teams that are rebuilding can say that they have an owner that's okay with going into the tax to possibly build a contender faster. So I think you can package that 26 pick just as a little bit of sweetener maybe to take on not as severe of a contract. Or so they could move back up the lottery or they could also just trade out of the pick entirely and maybe just trade in for future picks next year by using that JR Smith contract. Um, that's definitely going to be the Cavs biggest, um, second biggest piece that and JR's contract will be what decides them moving up or out of that pick. So they could, I, at most they're going to have two rookies at the end of the night. Maybe they buy a couple second-round picks and a couple guys they want to take a gamble or take a long look at as well. But two first-round rookies for sure. But more than that, I would definitely be surprised.
0: All right. Uh, other uh, other situations around the league that we need to be keeping an eye on? Anything else that uh, you feel like is going to be interesting and could be a, a recurring plot point on uh, draft night, particularly anything that could affect the Cavs?
2: Um, sorry, I just had a big old grin because I'm thinking about Boston's situation again. Um, I think we'll all cheers man, for that. they're just having. Yeah, uh, they're having the worst week ever. It's just good to trade for Anthony Davis, it. but yeah, you might. But um,
1: <laughs> yeah, you hate to see it.
2: Hate to see it. Um, but um, it's a fluid situation for sure. Um, it's going to be um, the East is going to be I mean you have Milwaukee uh, Toronto is I think they have a good chance keeping Kawhi those will be your two best teams in the East I think Indiana will be very good I think Brooklyn with Kyrie will be the fourth seed and then after that it's a bit of a crapshoot and how with the draft think, a lot of teams how long do
1: you, I'll stop you real quick how long do you think Toronto has how long do you think they can keep Kawhi for do you think he signs there long term or does he stay for another couple of years? Like, what's that look like? Because when he got traded, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that he was going to stay a year and leave, right?
2: Yeah, it sure, for sure it felt like that. But I think winning the championship changed that. And I think the Raptors bending over backwards to give him that time to rest and showing that load management is going to be the new thing next year. Like, you're going to see, definitely see it next year at the Lakers and LeBron and Anthony Davis. There's going to be plenty of quote-unquote load management games for them. But it's just, I think Toronto and the city just have bent over backwards to embrace Kawhi. And you saw it at the parade. They're chanting five more years for him and they're going absolutely nuts for him. So I think, I think he'll stay there long term. And if he does leave, it would be for the Clippers. But it would be pretty surprising for me at this point to see him go. And I think that at this point, Toronto will just try to do everything they can to put everything back together and run it back for another few years.
0: I've got to give Toronto a lot of credit. That's that's a team that I've kind of laughed at for years because of the way the Cavs have just uh, basically dog-walked them in the playoffs every year. But uh, Exactly. They went for it this year. That was that was a bold move, going for it with with Kawhi, especially because I think there was a lot of uh, a lot of question marks around him at this time last year, just in terms of his health. I mean, you know, he the Spurs are kind of putting one story out there. Kawhi was putting out another, and then as you said, you got this whole deal with. Uh, it seems like he wants to get out to Los Angeles, and uh, you know, with with no promises, they went and pulled the trigger. And, you know, uh, it could not have worked out any better this year. And I'll be curious to see if it emboldens other teams to, you know, go for it, especially in a season like what we see coming up here. I mean, this feels like the most unpredictable NBA season coming up that we're going to have had in a really long time. It, It just feels like the landscape is wide open right now with the injuries to the Warriors and, um and just everything else happening. It's uh, it's a fun time for the league, I think.
2: Oh, no, I totally agree. And back to what you said, like Toronto just going all in. Um, it feels like it's two years in a row, really. In the Eastern Conference, LeBron leaves town and goes to Los Angeles and Toronto jumped. And as soon as um, San Antonio kind of showed interest in what Toronto was offering, Toronto jumped in and took the package and they basically said, listen, either we win it all this year and we convince Kawhi to stay in the meantime, and we build ourselves a contender for the next four or five years. That's just being optimistic, or things fail in spectacular fashion. Kawhi leaves, and we burn everything down and start rebuilding. And it's definitely kudos to them. It definitely worked out, And like you said. the 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 Cavs, they were um the Cavs bullied the Raptors a lot, a lot <laughs> the last few years. And um, I definitely got my jokes off. But to see a fan base that got tortured by LeBron James for so many years finally pulled off is definitely cool to see. Um, and it's also nice to say that Golden State didn't come back from a 3-1 deficit either. So it's just another thing that we can always hold on to forever. But um, to fast forward what you said now, like it's definitely going to be an interesting year because I think the Kevin Durant injury – And the Clay Thompson injury definitely. I mean, there was definitely pressure on Rob Palinka and the Lakers to make some type of move to surround LeBron with talent. Because I'm still still flabbergasted that they uh that they just threw away a year of LeBron. You just you can't can't do that. And um, they went all in on Anthony Davis. No, for but it's just the West is wide open this year and. I felt Golden State look vulnerable at times, especially with just kind of how the Draymond-Kevin Durant situation and DeMarcus Cousins kind of not being 100%, and then players coming in back and forth from injuries and Kevin Durant being rushed back at the finals. It's just, I think Durant's Achilles and Thompson's ACL, the straw that broke the camel's back, and then it's in the West, and then now you have the Lakers cash again, and... They're going to try and be desperate to try and attract some star, to either take a discount or they try and offload any of the last players, not named Kyle Kuzma, surprisingly, um, to uh, try and get another star free agent to join them because... ...in basketball because there's a lot of unknown variables for the first time in a long time where you can't just chalk it up to say, like, all right, it's... ...versus whoever, let's just go ahead and fast forward to late May, early June, and just get this over with.
0: All right, so it seems like uh, R.J. Barrett, just to kind of bring this back to the Cavs, would be a, a dream scenario. Um, looking at re- realistic options outside of R.J. Um, somehow falling to the Cavs at five, what will you walk away from on Thursday night if, as the draft concludes, what would be uh, a, a Realistic uh, good good outcome for the Cavs with the the picks they have and the assets they have going in. W- what would you like to see them come away with?
2: Realistically, um, there's quite a few options, but I think Jared Culver falling to def- or David Griffin not holding um, Cleveland hostage and taking Jared Culver and maybe taking Darius Garland and trying to trade one with one of those desperate teams and having Culver land at five would be great. And then the Cavs in turn packaging J.R. Smith and the 26 pick up to Miami to get 13. And then getting somebody like Brandon Clark or Nikhil Alexander And then possibly taking a flyer on a second round pick or two just for warm bodies in training camp and possibly um, even like draft and stash players overseas or something to consider as well. And um, I just say walking away with two, like a high upside player, who is a workout warrior and will set the culture like Culver, and then you add somebody like Alexander Walker, who kind of ticks a lot of the boxes and helps with some of the concerns that come with Colin Sexton. I think that would be the perfect scenario for the Cavs. Um, like I said before, they can't be too picky when it comes to talent. When it comes across them, they can't be like saying, "Well, we're position, we're They can't draft for a fit. They have to draft or or need. They have to draft for talent, and I think. As long as they can try and move up out of twenty six, they'll definitely be able to add two talented rookies to add to their foundation.
0: All right, sounds good, Trev. You got anything else?
2: Yeah,
1: I guess overall, what um, what, anything that you have seen or you're predicting or you have an inkling towards that would just kind of surprise a vast majority of people. What, what should we look for? Because. Honestly, I think a lot of times when it comes to the draft, a lot of people look at the first, you know, three, four or five picks or whatever, and then they don't really have any idea what's going to happen after that. Um, anything that should be really surprising or anybody that you could see jump up and, and be sort of a shocking name, a la an Anthony Bennett type name? <laughs> um, do not think in a one or two slot, but is there any
0: shocking scenario that we can like jump in here on uh, three days later (laughs) and say you heard it on the nail first
1: right you listed three or four guys that you think you know are in play at at five are there any guys that theoretically shouldn't be but you would also be like yeah okay maybe i could could have seen that happen
2: um that's a good question i uh Trying to look at the big boards here. Um, I guess beyond Cleveland, like there's Kobe White's an option too. He does have some he's kinda like a copy paste Colin Sexton for me. Um I can see the upside well, of him. Fun. And the, the, Um <laughs> I mean you have a speedy team, but no defense. And um but like Jackson Hayes from Texas, he would be a surprising option, but wouldn't shock me because he does have a pretty, he had a pretty well-rounded freshman year. And if he, like, especially, it just becomes a lot more wild if the Cavs trade back. Um, I think a lot of the guys that I listed are all pretty realistic options at five because that's where their heights are at. But the Cavs have also drafted guys that were probably a too few picks ahead. Um, uh, if they a name to watch for, for sure, though, that I... And a lot of people in draft Twitter have sold me on um, that. If the Cavs trade back, is uh, I am probably butchering his name, but it's Goga Bidace. Um, He's a international center. He's only nineteen, and um, he is a defender already. And he has shown a pretty solid offensive game to be in with. But um, he also is projecting to show three point range as well. So the sky's a bit the limit for him, and he's definitely a project. But um, if the Cavs were to add another center to the roster, it would be a surprise. And it also wouldn't be a surprise if you see a couple names not named Kevin Love getting shipped out of there in a trade with some team who might be looking to shed some bad salaries on the draft.
0: All right. Very good. All right, well, uh boys, I think uh I think that about covers it. Uh Trey, what do you say?
1: Sounds good to me. All right. Think I'm ready. Uh,
0: Sounds good, Evan Damerel. Thank you very much for joining us. This has been uh, great, and uh, I feel sufficiently prepared for the NBA draft now. You've uh, this was uh, this was awesome, and I uh, appreciate you taking the time, man.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: All right, Are you going to be writing this week for uh, Forbes or uh, Fear the Sword, or are we going to see anything from you uh, draft related coming up that uh, we should be uh, looking out for?
2: Thursday night's the big night, and I'm hoping to have something out by Friday morning just to say, like, give my thoughts on how the Cavs, what things are going. And um Forbes um has a big free agency preview coming pretty soon, and I'll be doing something for the Cavs for that as well. Because even though they're pretty strapped for cash, there actually are quite a few options out there in free agency that might be available for the Cavs with just a lot of draft busts that maybe might be worth a damn looking at. Mm.
0: All right. That's interesting. I'm, uh, I'm intrigued. always like seeing some new names, uh, linked to the Cavs here. It should be good. You are, uh, at, uh, am not Evan on Twitter, correct? That's correct. All right. Everybody give him a follow. He's, uh, he's a good follow. Good member of Cavs Twitter. Uh, appreciate him taking the time here. Look forward to reading, uh, all of Evan's coverage on, uh, Forbes and uh, Fear the Sword as well. As for us, you can listen to the Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're also on Stitcher, the TuneIn app. You can stream us on WaitingForNextYear.com. Speaking of which, uh, good old WFNY there uh, has a lot more uh, Cavs and uh, NBA draft uh, preview coverage as well. Uh, Encourage you to uh, give uh, all of that a read this week uh, as we get ready for thursday night our thanks again to evan damerel uh, for joining us and uh, talking calves for trips. julie i'm tom valentino it's been the nail in the coffin and we will talk to you again soon
2: hip pass moto sponsored by moto america is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on!